What's good? Hope everybody's having a great Friday or whatever day you're listening to this on. Um, something I want to talk about. And by the way, if you didn't know, this is your boy, sir, of 2020 podcast. And today I just wanted to talk. And uh, that's something you haven't been getting a lot of from me. And I apologize, but I'll explain why. Um, with our podcast, something we always discuss is keeping it 100 with yourself, taking time, doing that self-evaluation and really examining yourself and taking steps to better yourself so that you can achieve happiness, not only with your ideal mate, but within yourself. You know, that's something we try to advocate for personal health and mental health. And with this month being mental health month, I thought I'd share a little bit about me. Uh, if you don't know who I am, um, my name is Sir, obviously on the show. Real name, government issued ID is <laughs> Jeremy Evans. Um, I grew up in Tomanville and ended up in Theodore, um, ended up in Huntsville and made my way back home to Mobile. Over this time, I personally, of course, uh, personally, because it's me saying I, <laughs> but I have endured a battle with not only depression, but anxiety. Now, a lot of people will dispute that. They'll say, you know, anxiety is nothing. Some people downplay it, and that's cool. If you're one of those people who feel that way, you're entitled to your opinion. But uh, it's how it affects you that's alarming. Uh, anxiety and depression are two very different things, but together they can create a toxicity that is unimaginable to some people. I have battled this for a good portion of my life. Probably, I want to say it started in elementary and it carried over up till now. And I will say the reason that it did carry over is because communication, uh, not being able to effectively communicate like I could, uh, like I wanted to, excuse me, uh, being bullied in school because I like to read. I've always liked comic books. Imagine that. I've always liked doing my homework. I like to learn. And sometimes people wasn't cool with that, you know, regardless of what their situations at home was. But they made it a point to make me feel lesser. Um, I grew up in the age of where if you weren't wearing J's, you might as well be wearing Bobo's. And if you don't know what Bobo's is, Please find your local <laughs> um, old head and ask them what Bobo's are. But I, I never really wanted those things. I just wanted to be able to exist and just just exist, you know. And so as at a, at a young age, I, at a young age, I started to resent people. And let me let me explain what I mean by that. I hated being around a lot of people like unnecessarily like if if 
if I didn't have to be around a crowd, I, I didn't want to. I learned to associate rude people with a lot of people. And what I mean by that is my mind would make the assumption that if I'm going somewhere with a lot of people, there were going to be majority rude and rude people who were going to ruin whatever experience it was for me. So I would convince myself I didn't want to go. I was one of those kids that was like, nah, I stay home, you know. Now, with that being the case, my social life wasn't really prevalent. I, I wasn't um, a, an outspoken person. I, I was really to myself a lot and I, I was secluded a lot, you know. Um, and that may come as a shock to the way we, we talk on the show. But it's it's the honest uh, it's the honest answer. I, I I didn't have a lot of friends, and, and I'm not saying having a lot of friends is ideal because it's not. It's the quality of friends that you have. But I I didn't have the social interactions like a lot of people did. So with carrying that, and then you know moving into a completely different. Uh, area when I moved from Tolmanville to Theodore I not only had to deal with being uh, a new kid you know being a new kid I don't know if any of you ever went to a totally different area when you're a teen is is kind of yeah it's it's a headache within itself you're basically trying to fit in because everyone else has grew up around each other so they're established you know, with who they are, and hey, I was the new dude, I, I was, I was literally, um, I'm not going to say her name, but I was literally called such and such as cousin for the longest, and after a while, I grew to hate that, like, I was just like, all I want is my own identity, you know, so I started to act out, and this was kind of like the rebellious phase, so luckily, you know, I, I kind of grew out of that, and I saw how I wasn't being true to myself. I would act out in class and, you know, but I I, I knew everything, you know, like, because I, I would study. It was crazy because I do all my work and still act out. Like, I was the class clown for a little bit, but I also did my work. <laughs> it's so crazy. So... As time progressed and I'm, I transitioned to high school, then I started to see how racism works. And coming from being in Tomanville, where you're surrounded with 99.9% black people, and, you know, even when you're not one to be associated with a bunch of people, even when they're your own people, and then experiencing, there's a whole nother majority that doesn't even associate with you still. That made me feel like I'm even on an even smaller island, if that makes sense. It was crazy because and I, I still don't understand racism to this day. I, I really don't. I, I, I just won't get it because and I, I tell my 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 friends about this now, but I come from a high school where you would have a friend who's white in class, but when the bell rings and you, let's say, you go to lunch, 
if if they're around their white friends and you're around your black friends, you won't acknowledge each other. You won't speak. You won't go say anything. You just wouldn't. And I, I never understood that. And I had friends on both sides. There was some white people I was cool with. There was, you know, some black people I was cool with, but they would never meet in the middle. And at Theodore at the time, I want to say it was about a 70-30 split white-black. And it was so awkward because all the black kids were on the sports teams. And, you know, like football and track and basketball and majority of the white kids who played. Some of them played football, but most of them played like softball and stuff. Not softball, excuse me. Baseball. (laughs) And it's like, I didn't play sports high school, so I ain't fit in nowhere, you know. So, at this point, I realized that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to college. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get away from the black people. I'm going to get away from these racist white people. I'm just going to go to college. So, that's what I did. I grinded. I graduated with a 3-3. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to a HBCU. Because... I want that black experience. I miss it, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I, I hate racism. I need to be around my own. And then I got to the HBCU and man, I wish, I really wish <laughs> that I had gone to like Bishop State or something beforehand because it was such a reality check because I was back around the people that I didn't want to be around. Like, I, I'm talking about people. And I, and I never understood that for the longest, like, freshman year. And don't get me wrong. Over time, the class has thinned out. You know, people fell by the way, wayside. But it was some of the worst people you could ever meet at college. And I ain't never understand that. I, it, it, we had guys who... <laughs> Who was just there to sell, you know, product. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And, of course, everywhere it's got that. But I'm talking about these weren't students. These was pushers. These dudes were making trips on the weekend and coming back and, and selling for the week and doing it back and forth and back and forth. I know because one of them was my roommate. <laughs> I ain't going to say which year it was, though. Dry snitch are not allowed. But, um. And so I was like, man, I'm still not getting the black experience. I'm still, I f- I'm not finding my crowd because I'm black, you know, but I'm also a bit of a nerd, a little bit of a, a thinker, you know, I'm a little bit of a philosopher and, and I like poetry and I, I like to sit back and reflect on the meaning behind certain things and symbolism. And I hadn't found that crowd. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to join a fraternity and I joined it. And that was one of the greatest things I ever done because my fraternity allowed me to interact with people through a platform that I normally wouldn't have access to. It forced me to come outside of that shell that I was in and interact because of the position I was given. Uh, My first year, I was the historian, so I had to take a lot of pictures. I had to be at almost every event and being a Neo. I don't know if y'all know, but if you're a Neo, you everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> if yo, you ain't got class go to this event you know and I had work study and you know class and stuff but hey I still upheld my duties and 
after my Neo year, uh, I became uh, one of the board, one of the heads of the boards of education. And what we were privileged to do was to go out and do community service. And I got to arrange it. And I never forget who really put me on, who really showed me the ropes. Uh, my big brother, Arthur Peterson. Uh, Art is still one of those bros that he may not know it, but he affected the way I think for the better just by his actions. And it's, it's, it's a few brothers that really left a lasting impression on me like that. And Art Peterson is one. Uh, Terrence Hughley, a.k.a. Two. Uh, Christopher Thomas, uh, a.k.a. Chopper City. And it's probably more, man. I'm just... Uh, um, Oh, Dominique Cummings, like some of these bros were one of those bros. They 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 were the cool bros that everybody loved. But if you were down and out and you just need to sit and talk. You could do that with them. And these were my big bros. Now, these weren't my my line brothers or my LBs. These were gentlemen I could genuinely call my big bro and, and call on the phone or sit down and talk at the stone and just hash it out. You know, and and they'd listen. But Chopper City would probably make fun of you. But he'd he'd give you some wise tips. And uh and probably give you a shot of vodka to help you wash it down. But <laughs> um but past that, as as time grew on, you know, after college I went through a, a serious bout of depression. Uh when my granddad died I took it a lot harder than I let people know because I, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for it. I knew he was sick and you know, like granddad was just strong. You, you just be like, man, granddad going to be here forever. You know, granddad going to see me get married and you know what I'm saying? And I remember the very final time that I, I spoke with him. And uh, he sounded so tired. I never forget that. I was in my 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 roommate's room. I, I never forget. I was doing my taxes <laughs> and um for my income tax. And and he, my mom had called and she was laying next to him, and he just he just sounded so tired. And I never forget. I think it was like two days later. I went to work, and my mom. Before I went into my job, my mom was like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. It's coming. You know, he's 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 going to leave soon. And so I was just like, just just let me know, you know, and being a black man, you 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 think you can thug it out. You think you can just, you know, I got this, you know, I'm going to hold it on and be strong. But. Uh, I. Uh, went on my lunch break. And uh, I never forget. I was sitting in my car, and I was smoking a black. This this because I I was super stretched, stressed, and I got that phone call, and uh, my mama was like, "He's he's he's gone," you know. And I I just sat there stunned. I knew it was coming, 
you know, and that's that's what made it hurt worse. I, I knew, you know, but I was in denial. And when we uh, didn't, I, I, I maintained composure until the moment I had to explain to my supervisor that I would need to go on bereavement. And I remember walking in the store, I was working at Publix. And I was like, hey, I'm going to have to take a couple of days off because my grand and when I said the G and granddad. It's like all the, the integrity I had, all the the willpower I had left my body and I was just crying. And, uh, whew, excuse me, y'all, I don't like to, uh, I don't like talking about this very often because uh, I still do miss him. Uh, and I'm trying to talk about this to, uh, to cope with it because like I always say, men, we don't, we don't really vent, you know, and, uh, sometimes it's just a good cry gets you past it, ooh, and, uh, I just, I need to get this off, so, granddad, if you can hear me, I love you, man. Just like we always used to say, man, I love you. <laughs> and uh, nobody will ever make <laughs> hooch like you. <laughs> uh, some of y'all will get that. Some of y'all won't. You know, my family is listening. Man, look here. He let me sip some pear wine that he had created. Uh, he used to take apple cores and pear cores and, you know, I ain't going to tell you the process because I think it's a family secret. But <laughs> he, he'd take a cooler and he'd make some hooch. And i never forget, just before I went to college, he had to call me and my brother over. And so we sat there and we chilled, we talked. And uh, he was like, yeah, Jeremy, taste this. Now, of course, I wasn't 21 yet, disclaimer. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to dip my lip in. I'm sure granddad ain't no punk. But he did warn me. He was like, look. You're going to dip your lip in this, but drink it slow, you know, because it's a little strong. And, man, I dipped my lip in that thing, and it was the sweetest thing I could. Listen, I know, do y'all remember, well, if Sonics made a slushy that tastes like pear, but it with a little twang to it, that's what it tasted like. And so I downed it, like, not not noticing that. I was like, mm, 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 and it was gone. It, it wasn't in a big glass or nothing. <laughs> So my granddad laughed at me, and we sat down, and we're talking. And so, I don't know if y'all know, when you drink alcohol and you really hadn't eaten, you're going to have to pee. I just remember, I stood up, and I sat my butt right back down. I was so tipsy off of one cup. I don't know what proof that was, but man, look at here. But anyway, uh... I had to talk about that because that that's where the depression kind of kicked off because I didn't address those feelings with my granddad and how I miss him. And 
it carry over. You know, I tried to find solace in women, which didn't work. Uh, I had a, a relationship that suffered because of the things that I was going through mentally. And I just went in a downward spiral, which led to um, comfort eating, you know. And something about black people, and I just got through talking about this, something we don't take into consideration is serving sizes. You know, whenever you go somewhere to eat and go kick it with family, you know, we get the big plate and, you know, get, get, ET, get full, baby. You, you know how everybody got that auntie. And I lived that life for quite a while and it caught up to me, you know, being alone and eating the wrong serving size. It's not getting the exercise that you need. And before I knew it, I blew up. And so with blowing up, you see yourself and you don't really like what you see, but you don't know how to get out of it, you know, because you're in a rut and kudos to you who are motivated to, to do something about it. But when I got discouraged, you know, so A few years passed, well, several years passed, I say, and uh, I decided to move back home. And something I've kept under wraps for some people, and some of you may know, I've actually uh, been going through a weight loss journey uh, with ups and downs and losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight. And I've come to the conclusion that I'm going to do bariatric surgery. Uh, to those of you who are curious about what that is, that is weight loss surgery. Now, a lot of people feel that it's too dangerous. A lot of people feel that, you know, it's the easy way out. Um, but that's your opinion. I'm doing this because I want to. I want to use this as a tool to get back to the happiness that I used to have, you know. Uh, I, I want to change for the better and break this cycle within myself of anxiety and depression. I want to surround myself with positive vibes and positive people. And one way I'm going to do that is I'm surrounding myself with people who are going through the same struggle as myself. I've been in a journey for literally two years, and I haven't really told many people, because with this, some people think it's just as easy as just being a certain weight and going to the doctor, oh, we'll get your surgery. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You have to visit dietitians, you have to visit doctors monthly monthly um, your insurance has to clear things uh, and you have a set prerequisite of items before you can even get approved to have the surgery so for me when I came home to Mobile I immediately started I um, started seeing a dietitian and started through my insurance uh, they gave me the qualifications of See a dietitian regularly for six months, record your progress, do a psyche eval, 
X amount of dollars and we'll consider it. So on my first try two years ago, I started. And the thing about checking your insurance is vital because you will end up paying out of pocket for expenses you don't need to. And what I mean is I was recommended a place that was not in my, uh, what do they call it? Um, it's like um, my network. It was an out-of-network place. So every visit, I had to pay $50. I had to visit these people at a minimum of once a month. And things were already tight. Now, that was the base requirement, once a month. But the dietitian wanted to see me weekly to measure my progress. And that's how they would do it. So I was paying $50 a week to check my weight and things. And don't get me wrong. They gave me some excellent tips. They gave me access to some excellent products. Um, and I, I'm not going to say whom it is, what company, because it's not their fault. It's essentially my fault. But in the end, I achieved four months with them. And actually five, five months with them. And quite honestly, a hiccup happened where I couldn't afford to get the sixth visit. So I would have to wait to the next paycheck. Unfortunately, the next paycheck would have made me skip a month. And so once I found that out, I called them and my insurance told me, well, it has to be six months consecutively. So if you skip a month, you have to start all the way over. So I'm going to let y'all do that math. That's $50 a week for five months. Gone. Down the drain. So I got a little bit depressed. I got perturbed. And then after that, I found out that not only were they um, basically busting my head, but they were out of network. So my job told me, you don't have to go to them to do this. You can just see them once and then go to your regular physician. So my dietitian knew this, but was making money off me and didn't relay that. So that became an issue. So I took the L, you know, and I'm not even going to say I'm my, my family and I took the L armed with this new information. We uh, started, we started anew and uh, my doctor and I, and, and I'm going to give her a shout out, shout out to Dr. Lopez, because that, that little Dr. Lopez is a, uh, sorry about that. That's my phone. But um, Dr. Lopez is this <laughs> probably five foot four. 140 pounds soaking wet young lady and um she is the sweetest woman on planet earth and she's sweet but she's gonna give it to you raw and we sat down and i told her what i wanted to do and she was like i'm gonna give you everything that you need to succeed and she was like i'm so glad and this this is a a filipino lady she said i'm so glad that you came to see me and chose me as your physician because black men, and she just kept it 100 now. She said black men 
often wait till it's too late to come to the doctor. And that stayed with me. And so I made a commitment. I said, you know what, doc, we in this thing. You and me, you're going to see me every month. She's like, all right, let's do it. So she gave me, you know, information I needed. You know, she told me what I was doing wrong, what I was doing right. And every month for six months, we uh, we talked and got everything going. And it ultimately led to today. Today is a very emotional day because today I got my surgery day. Today I got proof of my work, proof of my journey and the next chapter, you know. So on June 19th, 2019, I'm starting a new chapter. And I'm doing this uh, podcast solo because I'm sharing this with those of you who've gone out of their way to come check this out. But I'm going out of my way to show you that it's never too late for change. You can do anything. It may be tough. It may be scary. It may be frustrating. It may be a financial Hendricks, but you can do it if you dedicate yourself to change and your your own embetterment it's possible i had to sacrifice a lot of things to get to this point you know a lot of lifestyle differences a lot of comforting methods a lot of ways of thinking you know because you got to look at it like this. I had to examine myself and what I was doing wrong, you know. Sitting down, doing work and eating. Nah, what are you eating? How much of it are you eating? What time are you eating? When did you last eat? Or do you plan on eating anymore? What are your portions? Like, these are the things I have to consider every time. And these are things that we often don't. But now, I'm holding myself accountable to it. And... I'm in a on Facebook. I'm in a bariatric surgery support group, and they are just amazing. They go on live all the time. They are often giving tips. They're often giving like, like, open QAs. And I'm gonna do one tonight and just talk about what I've been through. And I just wanted to share this with my people first because I feel like with 2020, you've been with us since the inception, hopefully. And I just want to keep it candid with you guys first. So, here's the deal. I'm going to chronicle my journey through 2020. You're going to see what it's like to go through this. I'm doing this in hopes of saving somebody's life. Whether it be from a anxiety and a depression standpoint or from a physiological uh, health reformation uh, mindset. I'm... I'm doing that. You don't have to do it with me. You could just watch or whatever. I just, I just want to put it in your spirit and in your your mind that someone like me, who's just a nobody, <laughs> like, and I don't mean a nobody, but you know what I'm saying. I'm just a, I'm I'm not anybody special. 
but I'm going to make this journey. It, it's not if I'm going to make this journey. I'm going to make this happen. So if you have any questions, if you have any encouragement, if, if you want to just chop it up and discuss what this journey is going to entail, hit me up. Um, you have this page. You have me on Facebook. Message me. Let me know what's up. My door is open. Uh, the only thing I ask is that positive vibes only. You know, uh, I am asking for positive vibes only because it's very easy to criticize someone's choice. But sometimes someone else's choice has nothing to do with you. It's just for them. And this is one of those things. So if you've been listening to this last 33 minutes, I appreciate you beyond words, letting me vent. And I'm going to do one of these every single week, just telling you where my journey is. So just so you know, um, I appreciate you listening. This is Sir. And this is the first step. Peace.